So the Nile River turning to blood, that was certainly an annoyance. Um, Everyone had to dig alongside the river in order to get water that they could drink. The rest of the water was ruined. Um, You know, it was certainly red and it certainly stank. Uh, Was it blood or was that a metaphor? I mean, if all the water in the Nile turned to blood, then everything in it would die, and it would have all just become a coagulating sludge. Whereas that's not the picture we're given. We're given a picture of ruined water that lasted a week. Then Moses goes back, and we get the plague of frogs. Once more, an annoyance. I mean, a real annoyance, having frogs in your ovens and in your kneading bowls, that would be yuck. The gnats and the flies, too. I mean, so far, everything is annoying, but pretty much just annoying, not deadly, or not even very costly, really. But that's about to change. We're in the ninth chapter of the book of Exodus this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, let me invite you to make your way over to chapter 9 of the book of Exodus. With the blood, we were told that Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he didn't take even this to heart. So Pharaoh's heart was already hardened at the blood, right? And it remained so. But then we get the frogs, and Pharaoh pleads for relief. Pharaoh called Aaron and Moses and said, Please plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses did so. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So too with the gnats. This one went beyond the the ability of the magicians to imitate, you may remember. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to God within the land. That won't do, Moses said. So Pharaoh says, I will, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in the wilderness. Just, you can't go very far. Uh, and, and this time, we're not even told uh, that he changed his mind, but he must have changed his mind because of what happens next as the story continues in chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die, And the Lord said, set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. 
But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So this is the second plague where a distinction is made between the people of Israel and the people of Egypt. Uh, The plague hits the Egyptians, but the Israelites are spared. First it was the flies, uh, now it's pestilence. Now we don't know what sort of disease this was, but it's some sort of a disease that struck the livestock, all the animals, and they died. Uh, Look at verse 6. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Now look ahead to verse 20. We're going to cover three plagues this morning. The plague on the livestock, the boils, and the hail. And when we get to the hail, we read this. Then whoever feared the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. What livestock? I thought they were all dead. Well, sometimes all doesn't mean all in the scriptures, uh, all without exception. Um, We're told that all Judea went out to be baptized by John the Baptist, uh, and clearly that wasn't everyone without exception. Um, On the other hand, we're told that this happened to the livestock that were in the field, it's promised that they will die. Uh, and so some have wanted to say that uh, that, that limits it. It's, it's just those that were in the field that died. Um, maybe this is the list of all the sorts of animals that died seems to make it like com- comprehensive, though, almost, doesn't it? Um, I think there's another possibility, but I, it's one that I have not seen other people mention Uh, It just seems so plausible to me that when the Egyptians lost all their livestock, they would look and see, hey, there is a little region within us that has plenty of livestock, and look, they just belong to our slaves. So it's not mentioned in the Scripture that they stole the slaves, but it's plausible to me. Now, this is the first time that the plagues are more than an annoyance. It's actually costly. Uh, to Egypt as a whole and to each Egyptian, but Pharaoh wasn't moved by it. Uh, He even checked it out. It was just like Moses and and Aaron said, the plague spared the Israelites, but he wasn't moved. And so the next plague doesn't even include the the requisite warning that it's coming. Uh, They just show up and they throw some soot in the air. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kill and stood before Pharaoh, and and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses." Now, why do you suppose they threw the soot at all? I mean, God told them to, so that's enough. But this little act makes it clear, doesn't it, that what they're suffering, the affliction that has come upon them, it had a source. 
It, it was through Moses and Aaron. It is the God of the Hebrews who's bringing the plague. And so it, it was summoned, so to speak, in this act. Now, notice how they lose all their livestock, all their money, all their wealth goes away. And then after that, their bodies come under attack. Boils. Now, any teenager can tell you the great consternation that have, occurs when a zit appears. Well, these weren't zits. Uh, they were much more serious. Uh, so serious, in fact, that the magicians weren't able to appear publicly uh, and stand before Moses and Aaron. And yet, verse 12, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So... Moses is sent back in, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So God's explaining to Pharaoh uh, that he's kicking against the goads. Um, he's explaining to Pharaoh that he's been gentle so far. Um, he's nudging Pharaoh, giving Pharaoh uh, incentive to repent and time to repent. Uh, I could have struck you all dead. Look at verse 16. But for this purpose I raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This is why Paul when he's discussing God's sovereignty over election and reprobation, he points to Pharaoh. He says this in Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but it depends on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And if we peek ahead in Exodus to chapter 11, verse 9, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that, in order that, here's why, Pharaoh will not listen to you, and here's why, that my wonders might be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So I could have struck you by, dead by now. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very, hail, uh, very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until, nine, uh, until now. And nine, verse 19 is fascinating. This plague is avoidable. You can suffer no loss from this plague if you will just 
believe the word of God and obey it. I mean, not really. The, the plague is coming, but instructions are given. Anyone can experience what Goshen is experiencing. God's making a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. Well, with this plague, anyone could have avoided the catastrophe. All they needed to do is believe God and heed his word. Bring your livestock inside. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die. And when the hail falls on them... Then whoever feared the Lord, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So some people, some of Pharaoh's people, feared the Lord and some didn't. And when Israel comes out of Egypt after the plague on the firstborn sons, they're going to come out as a mixed multitude. Some of Egypt is softening. Some of Egypt is being brought to repentance, but not Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. So they've lost their livestock, uh, and they've, they're covered with boils. Uh, and now they lose people and livestock, wherever those came from after the pestilence killed them. Um, we, we've gone from annoyance to economic hardship to physical pain, and it appears to move Pharaoh here. Uh, finally, Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Now listen to those words again. And they have all the elements of repentance in them. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, therefore, for there's been enough of the thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Sounds like full-blown repentance. I sinned, the Lord's in the right, I and my people are in the wrong, I'll let you go. But we know better, don't we? We know that this is not full-blown repentance because of how the story ends, and we all know how the story ends, right? Pharaoh is is like one of those Pharisees that went out to John the Baptist uh, to be baptized. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's easy to put it into words but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Saying you repent is one thing. 
Pharaoh says all the right words, but once he finds relief, you can see that his heart was not a repentant heart. The moment he finds relief, he's not repentant of his sin. He's just bothered by the consequences of his sin. Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the, Lord, that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Now the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they're late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and he stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder ceased, he sinned yet again, hardened his heart, he and his servants, So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So I know you're not really repentant, but so that you know God's powerful, we're going to do it anyway. I guess verses 31 to 32 explain how the locusts are going to have something to eat later. I wish they'd done that with the livestock, right? Um, But that just makes me wonder. (laughs) There are lots of places like that in the scripture, right? Where there's just, I wish there was more detail that we knew, but there's there's not. So not just the plagues, but their removal. That's the proof of God's power. Look at verse 29. As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There'll be no more hail so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. Even though I know you don't yet fear the Lord. So when Pharaoh sees that there's respite, once again, he hardens his heart and doesn't let them go, just as the Lord has said. So where do you see yourself in this story? I mean, don't misunderstand me. We are clearly the children of Israel. Um, But what does that mean? To be a child of God, to belong to the people of Israel. It means that we are a repentant people. We are those that God has called out of the darkness of this sinful world. And that's why, to some extent, we should examine the actions of Pharaoh because that hard heart of his, that's what God is, is, he has removed and he has given us a heart of flesh, but you and I know that our hearts can still be hard. So we can learn a lot as we look at Pharaoh. Later in the wilderness, Israel's will be said to have hardened its heart. And the author to the Hebrews tells us to take, to take heed of that. In Hebrews 3, we read, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in the, their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not. Enter my rest. Now, that generation was not united with us by faith. But the author to the Hebrews recognizes that that is a real threat to each of us. 
Sin dulls your ability to reason. Romans 1 explains that very, very clearly. God gives unbelievers over to their sinful delusions. Romans 11 warns us against growing proud of the fact that we can see clearly. Pride is sin, and sin distorts your reason. So I I think we ought to look at Pharaoh, and I think we ought to beware the the same hardening that we see in him. Um, If we're honest, we'll recognize the same thing in our own hearts. For example, sorrow over the consequences of sin more than sorrow over offending God by your sin. Who of us isn't guilty of that? And sometimes relief is all we seek, not holiness. But we are, if we're united with Christ, we are Israelites. We are children of the promise. And so we are those delivered by the mighty outstretched hand of the Lord. And and what do we take away from that? What, What part did we play in our redemption? When you recognize that you're the children of Israel in this story, what part do they play? In winning their redemption? Nothing. They are total recipients of the grace of God. And just as Israel was delivered without drawing a sword or anything, they're, they're going to be rushed out of the country, heaped with gold and jewels just to get them out. It's the Lord who is doing that. The sovereign power of our God, the zeal of God for our good. These are the things that have been highlighted in these first two books of the Bible as we're going through them. God, we're told, wrote our names indelibly in the Lamb's book of life before he even created the world. And because of his love for the Father, the Son of God became one of us. Having gained victory over death through a sinful life offered in sacrifice For us, he he united us to himself by his Holy Spirit, which he's given to us. And so he who holds creation itself together by by the power of his word has united himself to us, and he works all things for his glory and has tied our good to that glory so that all things work together for our good. He is making a distinction between us and the world. That does not mean that we will never suffer. Clearly, the Israelites suffered under some of the plagues. It doesn't even mean that we won't suffer with the world. It just means that our suffering is different. Pharaoh and his servants are suffering because God is calling them to repent. Some of them will heed the call, some of them will not. But the people of God are suffering because that's what we're called to. Even the sinless Son of God learned obedience through what he suffered. So suffering is our calling, brothers and sisters. And because the Lord is bent on forming Christ in you. He will discipline you, and that's never pleasant. But those who are trained by it 
it produces in them a harvest of righteousness. So that harvest of righteousness, it sometimes requires pain. Like beloved children, we're being trained by a father who cares for us. But we're being trained by the pain. Pharaoh wasn't. We who are trained by the pain, we reap a harvest of righteousness. He will reap death. So take a look at Pharaoh. We have more in common with him than we ought. But look intently at the Lord of our salvation who raised Pharaoh up, this man, at this time, so that the Lord might demonstrate his power and so that the Lord might deliver us. So I guess there's two takeaways. Be warned of the deceitfulness of sin, the reason-corrupting power of sin. Sin blinds you, just like addictions. You've seen addicts who they're blind to their own addiction. Sin is blinding. The other takeaway is to rest in the sovereign care of your heavenly Father. He really does know you. He really does love you. You know, the, the world may look like it's crashing down around you, and it may be, in fact. But the Lord will make a distinction between us and the world when he acknowledges us before his Father, and he says to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your inheritance. So cling to Jesus, come what may, and keep your hearts clear of calluses. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would complete the work that you've begun in us. Father, we ask that you would help us to see the sin that remains in us and let us be appalled by it. Help us to see your holiness and your glory and your goodness and your wonder with such clarity that we would be so dissatisfied with the things of this world and frustrated by the remaining sin in us. Father, help us to be repentant. Help us to be faithful. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's rise for our closing hymn.